Lord has laid uh, something very heavy on my heart. And I, I say heavy, not in a bad way. It's actually a really exciting, positive, awesome thing. But it's heavy because it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Before that, I do want to give a quick update. Um, I know that we've been praying for the elections in Nigeria. Um, <laughs> I don't want to be pessimistic and say that it's going the way that that uh, we we probably expected it to. But I know what Satan has done there in the past and is trying to do now. To give you an update, Michael sent it to me just during worship. There are three main people in the presidential election right now. There's uh, Tanubu, Atiku, and Obi. Those are their last names. Um, well, actually, Atiku, I think, might be his first name, but I can't pronounce his last name. <laughs> so we'll call him Atiku. In this, the expected winner is Tanubu, simply because he is the one backed by Buhari, the president, current president. He is also the wealthiest. He is also the one that has the best chance of buying his own pathway. So you understand how that goes. As best as I understand it, Atiku is the opposite party of Buhari, and yet he is also a Fulani man. I I hope that I am remembering that correctly. But the only one that we really pray for and care about is Peter Obi, OBI. This is a man who has drawn crowds like they haven't seen before in the pre-election. This is a man who loves the Lord desperately, who ran his state. He was a governor of a state. He ran it in that way. He vowed against corruption. All these things. And, and yet, as of, as of when Michael sent this to me, and, and it's, it's still very early, but uh, Peter Obi has uh, 99,000 votes. Atiku has 168,000 votes, roughly. Tanubu has almost 300,000 votes. So I I say that only because, and I I say this out loud, the Lord promised me that he will not allow Nigeria to fall into the hands of the enemy again. Now, I'm not going to try and tell you what I think that means, because I don't know. I don't know. Does it, does it mean that they could still be corrupt and one of them gets elected? I suppose so, yeah. I, I would really feel bad for him because there will be a mark on his back by the Lord. I don't know what it means. I just know that the battlefield is leveling out. The corruption, not just in Nigeria, but globally. If, if you think that's just Nigeria... I mean, you're mistaken. If you don't think that's even here in the United States, you're mistaken. Money corrupts. And 
corruption is fed through power. Right? These people that take power, they do everything to keep power. Why? So they could continue with their corruption. That's not just in Nigeria. That is worldwide. And the Lord is bringing a change to that. That's why there's a battlefield. I was sent something yesterday from a precious friend that I, I want to go through at the beginning because it tie, kind of ties into what we're talking about this morning. But I also think that this is an issue that many people really need to get a grasp of, especially in the overall bride. But she sent me this, and I'm just going to read it. i, I got to tell you, I'm going to try and read it without stopping and commenting. It's going to be really hard for me, but I'm going to try and do that. Then we'll go back through it. Do we rebuke Satan is the title of it. Just going to keep going. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he didn't rebuke or bind him. Jesus quoted scripture relevant to the issue Satan raised. It is not necessary for us to rebuke Satan for a number of reasons. First, Satan is a specific fallen angel, and he cannot be in all places at once. Not even two places at once. He is not the one who personally causes every person's temptations or trouble or sicknesses. Many times it is our own flesh that is the issue. A spiritual warfare does exist, but the means by which believers fight in it is not how many churches today are teaching it. The reason all these false practices came about is because Satan is trying to keep believers from studying and knowing the Word of God for themselves. Instead of trying to rebuke Satan and calling out his wicked name, why not call upon the one who actually has power over Satan? Call on the name of Jesus and pray for courage, strength, and everything else. Resist the devil and the demons with their temptations to engage with evil on their grounds. In summary, if you're spending time rebuking the devil all the time, then he has you right where he wants you. He doesn't want you to realize the power in God's word, especially when it is used in context with its proper meaning. He doesn't want you to remember to call upon the true God in your time of need. But resist him, 1 Peter 5.9. And resist the devil and he will flee from you, James 4.7. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil and to be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, then stand. Ephesians 6.11 and 13. One final note to those of you who might have said or heard said, but when I do rebuke Satan, it really works for a while. The demons are playing with you. That's what they do. It's called torment. They want you to think it works. Don't be deceived. That was really hard for me to read and not stop and just comment. I have not read such a load of crap in a long time. 
And that's exactly what that is. It is literally the projection of the enemy wanting you to believe the very thing he is doing himself. He has deceived the church to understand or think they have no place in this war. On that last song, Lord told me to write this down. He was speaking to me about this. He said, write this down. So I did. He said, these people talking about the people that this is represented by, who believe that very thing. These are like the pacifists that ran from the draft. I got to tell you guys, that came out of left field. That wasn't me just trying to, oh, what would be some cool saying? The Lord said that to me in the moment, and he said, write it down. I don't know about you, but it sickens me when people ride a high horse and then run. It sickens me not because of them, but because of the deception that has been allowed to control them. So let's look at this for a second. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we've talked about it many times, but I want to point some things out. First of all, it says it's not necessary for us to rebuke Satan for a number of reasons. First, Satan is a specific fallen angel. He cannot be in all places at once, not even two places at once. Wrong. Now, before you get mad at me, I am not saying Satan is omnipresent. What I am saying is Satan is not, we refer to it oftentimes as a personal pronoun. Or, you know, a, a, a calling a name of an individual, right? When we think of Satan, what we're really thinking of is Lucifer. Satan's just a whole lot easier to say. But in reality, Satan is not just Lucifer. Satan is, literally means... The accuser. It is the one who comes against. It is as much Lucifer as it is the third of the angels that he took with him. It is as much Lucifer as it is the seed that has come from him onto this earth. They are all the Satan. Let's, let's just look at some quick Quick references. I, I don't, again, don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but let's look at a couple. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25 and 26. Matthew 12, 25 and 26. And you guys know this reference, right? It was when they accused uh, Jesus of a demon in him casting out other demons, you know, whatever. We, we actually talked about this a few weeks ago. Knowing their thoughts, verse 25, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and no city or house divided against itself would, will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, first of all, if that is a proper name for him, he's literally casting himself out. You, you get what I'm saying? 
that's not even what this passage is talking about. This passage is lumping all of them into that term, Satan. If Satan casts out another piece of his own body, Satan, his house will fall. That's what these verses say. It can't stand because he's literally clashing against himself. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 verse 15 says, And these are the ones along the path. This, This is the parable of the seed that's planted in different soil, right? And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. I want to use the very logic of what was written in that post. Satan's only one guy. Satan's only one entity. And yet, what happens in all the people that that good seed is sown in to ground that he comes and steals the word from, it can't be just him. It can't be. And yet the word uses the term Satan, right? Satan doesn't go because he is not omnipresent. He doesn't go to each individual. Imagine how, first of all, how impossible that would be, but how tiring that would be. No, he has plenty of help to do that for him. In fact, I'm going to state this. What we have seen in the courts... What I have learned in the court of nations over three years worth of of court events is that Satan does very little himself. Very little. And the reason for that is because he thought that if he didn't physically do it himself, it wouldn't be tied to him when it came back around in the courts. We see that in business today where or or certainly in politics where something will happen oh but that'll never get tied to the president we got we got to keep it to where he's not connected sorry the buck stops there and the buck stops at satan or lucifer so again satan can't be everywhere in their own logic here which is true Turn to 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. And, and I'm going through this quickly because when, when you do get this question, go back and write all this down so you could show people in Scripture the very fight that this thing rebuked. Okay? You need to know where to find this in Scripture. So 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5 says, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, this is the culmination of a situation in the Corinthian church where there was horrifying things going on. This this young man and his mother and and basically Paul said, kick him out of the church, hand them over to Satan. Okay. so if Satan does all this himself, what do they have to go out of the church and can somebody get Satan for me? You know, I, I know I know he's halfway around the world right now. Please, I'll wait. Because the Lord said that I'm supposed to hand him over to Satan. No, that's just stupid. Come on, come on. No, it is handing him over to the accuser. 
effectively you're handing him over to the other side. Turn to Revelation 12, verse 9, and this kind of brings it together. This whole section is, I can't wait for this time, because this is literally what happens during the seventh trumpet, which is the readying of the bride, which is the time frame that we are in right now. I don't want to dive off into that rabbit hole, but, um, but that's, that's what this is in regards to. But I want you to notice in verse 9, it says, And that great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. So even there, John didn't use a proper name, calling Lucifer Satan. In fact, he was called the dragon. Oh, and by the way, he's called the devil also, and he's called Satan also. Okay, so understand that that, and and I, I speak in defense of those who rebuke Satan. And I, I want to point a couple other things out in this as well, because to rebuke Satan is not rebuking Lucifer only. It's not taking on Lucifer one-on-one. It is taking on, like what we did this morning, praying over the healing, it's taking on the very demonic spirits that have attacked. They're all part of this group, this army that is called the Satan. Do you understand? Do you understand? It's not Satan and then his minions, and sometimes we call it that, but in reality, it is not one person and then he's just got a lot of workers for him. When we speak of Satan or the Satan or the accused, I'm sorry, the accuser, we are speaking of everything demonic from Lucifer, including the third of the angels that fell, including all the demonic realm. And, And by the way, oftentimes by choice, including those who have attached themselves to him. That's the saddest of all. So when we rebuke, now, the the second part here, they said, Jesus didn't do that. Even Jesus, even Jesus did not rebuke Satan. He used Scripture to come against him. And I'll give another example that's different today. That when Jesus cast out the demonic out of people's lives, He didn't, not one time can you see in there that he sent him to the abyss. In fact, the only example that we see of him sending them somewhere was the legion that said, can you send us into the pigs? Now, I don't know what happened after the pigs died. You know, I'm I'm guessing they all got confused, broken up, and had to go look for a different home or something. I don't know. But I know they weren't cast to the abyss. In fact, that is something that is one of the biggest arguments in warfare today. Well, Jesus never cast to the abyss, so why do we? Because it wasn't time then. In fact, in that passage, the, the legion says, Are you here to come against us before our time? They're keenly keenly sensitive 
to their time. In fact, we've seen it. We've talked about this many times where the enemy thinks that this was his time. I mean, believe me, the the enemy has truly thought that this was coming into the tribulation period. That was his time. That was his time to reign. But the enemy did not understand the mystery of the bride. Did not understand even the purpose of that mystery. There is purpose in our mystery. There is purpose in what he's doing with his bride. In bringing his bride to a place of fellowship with him on a global scale. In bringing his bride to a place of even rulership on a global scale. There's purpose for that. And it really boils down to two things. It's what he wanted to do through Israel all along. Read everything from the moment he called Abraham. Nothing ever changed. It was to lead the world. That was, that was his calling. That was his, God's plan over his nation of Israel. Up until the moment where that was offered with Jesus Christ. Up until that moment. But then when his people, his own people, rejected him, that's when a new covenant opened up. That was through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That new covenant opened up to the Gentile, which was everybody else. (laughs) Right? The Gentile is not just some other nation. The Gentile is everybody but the Jewish nation. It opened up to everybody, and including the Jew, by the way. It didn't open up to everybody but the Jew. It opened up to everybody equally and the same. So that God, through His bride, could show Israel what He wanted to do with her. So that she might be jealous. Romans 11.11 That's the purpose That's the purpose of what he's doing. That's why he doesn't just, when somebody gets saved, they just go to heaven. No, that's why Jesus taught in his time here on earth that you have to be in the fight, not running from the fight. So, when Jesus did not cast to the abyss, when he did not rebuked Satan directly himself and spoke the scripture that he did against Satan, he was revealing to us how we do it. One thing I am in 100% agreement with this on is you better know your scripture. Know your scripture. That's the example Jesus gives in his temptation. Scripture is his word. <laughs> it is the word with power. It is the word that the enemy cannot come against. That's why Jesus used it. Don't think for a second, and it, it kind of bugs me how it says here, well, you know, about Satan coming against, or it, it's not really that. It's, it's just your own flesh. 
Hello? What were we created to be? Were we created to be fallen beings? No, that was a result of sin. That was a result of something that was stolen from us. I don't know about you. Were you guys here when Adam did that? I wasn't. Right? I had no say in that. But God does give me a say in my own life. And He has given us a way to fight. He asks, are we going to engage in this warfare? I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. For those who think that we're not to engage in this warfare, I want you to explain something to me. Why did Jesus teach that? Why did He send out the 72 to do that very thing? Let's read verses 1 through 12 of Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of Him. Two by two in every, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to your feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So in this case, Jesus sent out the 72. If Jesus is the only one, or His 12 disciples were the only ones to do these things, to fight the enemy, to pray over healing, to do these acts that He wants us to do, then why did He send 72 here? Why did he teach them what it means to go out two by two? They didn't know. In fact, they came back all excited. Man alive, you wouldn't believe the the demonic spirits. They, They were subject to us. Right? They prayed healing. They cast out demonic spirits. And they were subject to them. And they were all excited. And Jesus said, that's awesome. But remember... The most important piece is that you're saved. The most important piece is that you know Him in relationship. 
See, they believed he was the Messiah. That's why they were his disciples. Not just the twelve, but those who followed him as well. I want to point out an important contrast, though, because there is a point that changed in Jesus' time. From the time that he was training those disciples, pouring into them, to the time he died on the cross, something changed. I want to point that out. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 22. And this has everything to do with what we just read here. Luke chapter 22, verses 35 beginning at 35 through 38. This is just before Jesus is going to die on the cross. This is when everything has come to a culmination for Him in terms of pouring into His disciples, pouring into all those who follow Him. That time is at an end. He is about to be taken and about to be put on the cross. And He says this, Verse 35, and he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. They didn't say nothing. They said we lacked nothing, (laughs) just to be clear. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what was written about me has its fulfillment. And then they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said, it's enough. I, I love when the Lord is speaking kingdom. And then they speak in the reality of the moment. And he goes, yeah, okay. Clearly in his mind, no, and they, they don't get it yet. Yeah, two's enough. That's not the sword he was talking about. The reality is when Jesus Christ died on the cross, fulfilled the very word that he's speaking of out of Isaiah, something changed. Something changed that was not there before he died and rose again. The availability of his kingdom to be produced in his bride was not there until he paid that price. He fully paid it. And what was his instruction? Knowing full well that he's going to the cross to pay for everything. He said, oh, I didn't have you have a sword before but you're going to need one now. You're going to need one now. Why? Because Satan is going to, the Satan, including Lucifer and everybody else who follows him, Satan is going to realize his defeat three days later. And when he realizes his defeat, then he will begin to focus on the very thing that he, can, that he has any choice to stop or slow down, and that's the bride. That's the church. He can't do anything to Jesus. Jesus paid for it all. That's why Jesus said, when I fulfill 
What it's called for me to fulfill, you're going to need a sword. You're going to need your money belt. You're going to need the provision that I give you because I am now sending you to take this ground. By the way, take the ground that the enemy has had since the Lord gave it away at Babel. Jesus knowing full well that it was his to pay for. But in partnership with his bride, it is to take. It's no different than when Israel was given the promised land. Did Jesus, did God just do that for him? Let me clear everything out for you. So when you go in, it's all set up nice and pretty and everything else. No. No, in fact, the fact that he didn't do that is is what cost him 40 years. Because people didn't have the faith to believe that they were to pick up a sword. Not to do things on their own, but to listen to their commander. To do what they're supposed to do. They were sent into Jericho. God brought the shock and awe. (laughs) But it didn't mean that they didn't use their sword. They did. They took the land by the very force that God said they will take it by. Why is it any different now? It's not. The difference is that we can't see the enemy unless we're focused in. Because we look at three dimensions plus time. And it just doesn't fit into that. So, I, you know, I don't see the enemy, you know, because it's my brother. And, 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 you know, I'm just praying for them to, you know, accept Jesus. And, I mean, that's awesome. Pray for them to accept Jesus, but pull out your sword and get them off the land. Get them off the land. Get them out of power. Because literally, Christians are in slavery today. You want to talk about slavery? I mean, come on. You want to. What's that word? Reparations? Or. Huh? Reparations? Is that kind of like Preparation H? Okay, you want to talk about reparations? Let's talk about reparations. Jesus paid for this whole place 2,000 years ago. You want to pay us back as the bride for what is due us? Fine. Believe in Jesus. Because the world is His. Now maybe, as the bride does take this globe, and she is going to, Maybe the Lord will allow this little space. I don't know. I've been talking to him about it. Maybe he'll allow this little space where they can hide. Just as a seed for the real end time when it is theirs. But if that's the case, we're going to call that square inches. Not anything bigger. See, you're, you're to engage in this fight. You know, when the draft happened back in 1942 for World War II, 
And in 1969, for the Vietnam War, so many people, and, and more, more so in the, in the 69, but so many people became what you know now as draft dodgers. They went up to Canada, right? They ran away out of fear. I get the fear. I understand it. But the problem is you have the same thing happening in the bride today. You have the same thing where the bride is afraid to engage. And, and yet, it's that engagement is the very thing that is going to bring the hope. Bring His kingdom manifest here. You know, I, I want to I mention to you, because this, this is really the heart of what God gave me this morning. And... God's plan, he laid out very specifically when Jesus had his ministry here on earth for the, what was it, three and a half years or whatever it was. He laid it out very specifically. We have the Gospels. We have the entire New Testament. We have all these things where he tells us how to be, tells us how to fight. But when you look at them through the lens of relationship, it all starts to make sense. Because really, it's how to build a team. That's what Jesus did. He spoke to the crowds, but who did he pour into? Specifically those 12. Even more so, a subgroup of those 12. But in reality, it was anyone who would pour back. Anyone, as John did, that would lean into him to build relationship. That's what Jesus did. Do you know, I, I was talking to, uh, to a university this past week that, that it is interested potentially in working with us in, uh, in Nigeria. And I said to them, Something that is, at the time when I said it, it didn't hit me with the weight that it hit me after I hung up. But I said that the Lord has given us the answer that they've been searching for for centuries for the continent of Africa. I mean, how how extraordinary is it that in today's day and age, today's technology, first of all, that we have any third world countries to begin with, but let alone a third world continent. Think about that. Africa being the continent that has been held under suppression for literally millennia. Why? We have all the technology in the world. We have, now, true, I was going to say we have all the wealth in the world, but true, they hoard it and they use it for their own power. But reality is why in the world is there suppression like that? And, and I was saying to this administrator, I said, I said, the Lord has given us a formula to literally turn Africa around. And we're starting to see it in Nigeria. And I've said this to so many people. And 
The thing that's cool to me is it's a strategy that Jesus had. It's not a strategy just for today. It's not a strategy that, you know what, in this time, okay, we got to come up with something new and, and, and let's do that and then the bride's going to be ready and we're going to turn Africa around and all this junk. No, this is the oldest strategy in the world. It's also the most powerful. If I were to ask out their business minds, business people, what is the most powerful marketing strategy in all of history, what would you say? I know nobody wants to speak up, but multi-level marketing. By far. By far. Every business is looking to figure out how can we get in the mouths of normal people to speak for our product. It's multi-level marketing. If I could get people to sell for me without paying them, wow, that's like insane. Do you know that is what God came up with? What did he do with his disciples? Jesus came and spent all this time in his ministry, and what was he doing? I mean, just, just preaching, so hey, make sure somebody writes this down, because in 2,000 years, they're going to need to read this. No. No. In fact, I don't even think he told him to write it down. Holy Spirit told him to write it down. What, did, what was his job? His job was to pour into those people. His job was relationship with those people. I've been involved with multi-level marketing companies. We've been involved with a few. Alex and I were really, really successful with one. Right up into the point that they went out of business. <laughs> But I mean really on a national level, we were very successful with them. Grew really fast. Why? Because I could talk to a lot of people? No, we picked 10 people. We picked 10 people and we poured into them. And we poured into them and we poured into them. And taught them how to pour into somebody else. Because from there, then they build their 10. Okay, well, that's exactly what Jesus did. He poured into His disciples. He poured into those who would come to Him. And what did He teach them? He first taught them how to be. He taught them how to be themselves. How, how to be before God. How to be in right standing with Him in terms of sin. He taught them how to build relationship with Him. He taught them that He would never leave them nor forsake them. He taught them about warfare. He sent those 72 out. They didn't just go out preaching. They didn't just go out healing. In fact, the one thing they came back and said is, Wow! We hit warfare and it couldn't even stand against us. He taught them how to do that. Why? Because he was pouring into them to then go do it with others. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. We all know this. It's called the Great Commission. Verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, make what of all nations? Disciples. Right? 
He didn't say, go out and preach to all nations. Hopefully a few of them are here. No, he said, make disciples. He said, I require a greater investment than you just walking into a town preaching and leaving. And, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not downing the, the Lord that calls people to go and preach. That, that's not it at all. They're doing their job. The rest of the bride had better pick up their part. I'm saying that what God has called us as a bride to do is to pour into others. Why? If I could take three people, myself, taking this idea of multi-level marketing that God came up with, if I could take that and I could take three people and I could pour into them everything that I am, everything that I know Jesus has showed me, everything that I know in Scripture, everything that I understand about relationship, and everything that I am, if I could just pour that into those three while at the same time teaching them, pick three more, each of you, pick three more, and do it the same way I'm doing it to you. Then they have three. Then they have three. I, I don't know how many in here would, would remember that commercial years ago. I think I might have been a kid. I can't remember. But where it says, and those told two friends, and you told two friends, and they told two friends, and on the screen it just keeps doubling, doubling, doubling. That's what the bride is supposed to be. That's what the bride is supposed to be. We take those three people. We pour into them. We fight for them. We fight alongside them. We teach what it means to pick up a sword. We teach what it means, exactly what happened here this morning, where we pray. We don't pray a defeatist prayer. Why? Because of where we're positioned. Why would we pray a defeatist prayer when we've already won it? The difference is that we have to now take it. It's not a question of if it's ours or not. It's not a question of our authority or not. It's a question of are we going to understand and walk in our authority. Because most bride doesn't. It's also not a linear thing like, oh, authority. Well, I'm a child of God. I have authority, so now I will stand up against the enemy. Well, if it was that easy, Jesus could have come for seven days and taught and then finished it. No, he poured in the fact that to walk in that authority is to walk in that purity before your Lord. To walk in relationship with Him to where the enemy can't touch it. Unlike the sons of Sceva, remember when they went out to cast out demons, they, they did it. And the demons said, well, we know Paul and we know Jesus. We don't know you. And then... You know, it was a street brawl and they ended up on the worst end of it. Why? Because there is an authority that we walk in when we walk in relationship with Jesus Christ in purity. I can't explain that. 
I can't explain. I, I, I recognize it and I feel it and I know it in my own life. But I, I, I can't articulate the process where that came. All I can tell you is I had a desire not for the authority, but I had a desire for the relationship. Like, I, I just wanted Jesus. That, that was it. When, when this whole journey began for me, it wasn't about, yeah, I, I want to learn how to wield a sword and, you know, do this and that and whatever. It had nothing to do with that. I just wanted Him. Honestly, what I wanted was how John would lean into Jesus like he did in the Last Supper. Lean into Him just to be close to Him. Just to absorb anything that He could. That's where my position was. That was where my desire was. I just wanted to be filled with Him. So then He took me through a process of showing me things that were in the way of that. He'll do the same for you. He began to reveal something and then, okay. You know, now there were certain things that were easy. I knew. i got to get this out of my life. Lord, help me. Help me get this out of my life. But then he would, and, and I did, and, and then it's okay, Lord, just like David prayed, show me anything that's in the way, anything at all. And he would begin to systematically reveal things in the moments they needed to be revealed. Still does. Still does. Even after all these years, still does. It'll never stop. Until that day that we're face to face. Because it wasn't about being a warrior. It was about being his friend. John 15. It was about my desire to just be close to him no matter what. That's where it came from. But that is what he did to make me a warrior. I want you to look at one other thing. Because it says make disciples of all nations here. I want you to look at Acts chapter 1. This was right before Jesus ascended. He promised the Holy Spirit, right? He told them to go up and wait in the upper room for the Holy Spirit. But then verse 8 is what I want to read. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And what? To the ends of the earth. Okay, who's he talking to? If he's only talking to, at this point, 11. Remember, Judas is gone. If he's only talking to his 11 disciples, and maybe add, no, well, Paul's coming a little later. We'll add him in. Then they failed. They failed. Horrifically, they failed. They never even got close to the ends of the earth. They did, however, make it to all of Samaria and all of Judea. So who was he talking to? He's talking to the very people that would read this. The very people that would be his bride. He's talking to you and I that what has to be done has to be done all over the world. And what is that? 
making disciples. Not they got to be saved. Not just offering them salvation. And, and I, I'm not belittling that. Please understand. Reinhard Bonnke, who is an amazing, was an amazing evangelist, in a 10-year period, I believe it was either 12 or 13 million Muslims in the north of Nigeria accepted Christ as Savior. 13 million. That's huge. 13 million. Think about that. Over a 10-year period. I have a question for you, though. If that was so powerful to bring change, then why is there no change in Nigeria? Hello? It's because it's not about the evangelism only. If that is all you do, then honestly, Jesus could have quit when he said, Hey, you guys are there fishing. Why don't you come and follow me? Okay, sure. Okay, we're done. That's literally what it equates to. Accepting Jesus Christ as Savior does not give you relationship with Him. Come on, you guys. We all know this. We know this. What will change the world? It is not only their salvation, but it is pouring into their lives. It is so easy for Americans to stay out of this. That's why so many Americans don't go overseas. Well, you know, I have enough trouble just in my house. You know what? Get your house fixed. Go outside your house. Start understanding that the Lord has something bigger for you. It is to pour into other people. It is that multi-level marketing that He knows will change the world, literally. Why? Because He's also told us to carry a sword. And when I engage with someone else, just like this morning's prayer, when we engage with people and we know they're in a war, well, what happens when the rest of us bring our swords too? Enemy can't handle it. The more this happens, the more land that is going to be taken from the enemy's exposure. That's what wins the war. Yeah, are we supposed to have a sword? Yes. Are we supposed to go against the Satan? Yes. By the way, if somebody came up and slapped you in the face and just started punching you in the face, what would you do, honestly? I mean, at the very least, you'd kind of put up your arm to block him and and maybe run away, right? Okay, but let's say that someone came doing that to you and you were a trained prize fighter. Now how are you going to handle it? You going to run away? No, first of all, they might get an easy glove on you, but that's the last glove they'll get. Because then you know what it means to block, but you know what it means to attack. You know what it means to attack in a flurry. I, I, I used to love boxing, and then I really enjoyed MMA because it got the foot involved. But what I loved is 
you could tell when a boxer or a MMA fighter knew victory was at hand. What'd they do? Every time. They explode. They explode on their attack. I mean, just watch. When, whenever a little sense of, of defeat is shown in their opponent's eyes, immediately they pounce and they go after it. And then it's called. Wake up, bride. The enemy has that in his eyes. He's flinched. We see his defeat. The head has been cut off. There is no organization. So let's ramp it up. Those of you who know how to fight, go after it in that warfare with your sword. Those who don't know, get with someone who knows. Build relationship. Let them pour into you the very thing that you are to pour into somebody else. Because we can't do this ourselves. We certainly can't do it without God, but we can't do it without each other. God made it that way. If it wasn't the case, then Jesus could have died on the cross, rose from the grave, and stayed. Why do you send to heaven? Why do you send to heaven when he could have stayed and, okay, guys, now we'll all just take the rest of the land? Because it all goes back to what he originally intended. Man's stewardship of the land. Where man has failed. It's not supposed to be that way. He will accomplish his original intent for man to steward the land. To steward what God gave. What did God give? The entire earth. The entire earth. It is ours. It is ours, though, not just to take, but it's ours to steward. So I just want to, and Lex, you come on up. I just want to encourage you this morning. Don't let something like this that was written project the very thing that puts the bride in trouble. We do need to fight. We do need to be aware but we also have to pour into each other because that marketing scheme is the most powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It, yes. Sorry. Um, he, he asked if part of the battle now is to send them to the abyss. Yes. When, when Jesus rose from the grave and well, before that, when the legion said, have you come to bother us before our time? The time changed when Jesus died on the cross. Okay, that's what he said when he changed it from don't take a sword to now you will need a sword. Okay, sending them to the abyss is literally so they can't do anything more. What happened when Jesus sent those, the legion into the pigs? Well, the pigs died. Then that legion went through dry places, as Scripture says, until it found a new host. Now, in this war, 
we have the opportunity to send them to the abyss because it is time. It's time to send them there so they can't go anywhere else, so they can't do any more damage. That is literally how we take land. Does that make sense? There's so much more to say on this subject. Um, I'm praying about whether the Lord will have me say something more next week. But even though you may understand this, I'm going to say one thing before we close today in prayer. Um, Don't misconstrue, again, the definition of relationship. Because when he said that when you invite Jesus into your heart, you do not have relationship. You have a relationship in status. Obviously, if I'm a mail-order bride and we get married in a legitimate marriage... We don't have a relationship because we don't know each other yet uh, in the sense of a human example. But we have a relationship in that we got married. When you accept Jesus, you become a child of the Most High God, blood-bought child that is received. So in that sense, you have that relationship status. You just don't have the relationship but the definition of knowing one another in, in the fellowship. So that's what he means. So don't, that's a sticking point sometimes with people. If, if somebody ever challenges you on that, it doesn't mean, because they would say, well, absolutely, I have a relationship. When I accepted Jesus, my relationship is, you know, is sonship with, you know, I'm a, I'm a princess of the Most High God. Um, it's, it's relationship in its activity and in its knowing. And that's what the sanctification process versus justification is in salvation. Um, but this is a, a larger subject. Even the, it's been, it was so interesting that the Lord even brought that to us because um, the Lord has really been putting on my heart understanding authority and uh, the deception in the bride about being passive. And in a time like now when there's so much oppression, the enemy is pouncing and taking advantage of those that don't understand their authority. He is going to take, seize every opportunity. If he sees defeat in you, he will try to overcome you and take advantage of what you don't know. He'll never overcome God. He'll never overcome Jesus. That's not who he fights. He fights what we don't believe Jesus is to us and what we don't know that we carry. And so that's why our faith and our choice for faith is so critically important right now. Um, And those who are rising up in that faith are called the remnant. It is the remnant rising, and, um, and it's so, so important because that's the key to overcoming. But let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for this word today, and thank you for your word, God, that comes in your written word and then illuminates Holy Spirit when you give revelation and release it, Lord, um, through, through the body of Christ, through preachers, teachers, pastors. Lord, I thank you for what was released today. And God, help us to dig deep and, and to really know even um, the, the first several chapters in Ephesians. God, thank you for the truth in your word. And I just pray that you would drive it home. And um, we just trust you for what you're going to continue to reveal as we seek you, Lord, and rise as your remnant uh, to rule the earth at such a time as this. We pray this, God, for every hearer of this message today. In the name of Jesus, amen.